0: Both major political parties in Illinois now have new leaders, the state's unfunded pension debt has now hit staggering proportions, and more people are pushing to reopen the state to outdoor activities. We'll talk about all that and a lot more on this edition of Capital Cast. Hello and welcome to Capital Cast, a regular podcast of Capital News Illinois. I'm Peter Hancock, and with us here today is the entire CNI News team to unpack a week's worth of news, and there was a lot of it. One of the biggest stories of the week was the fact that for the first time in decades, both major political parties in Illinois now have new leaders. Republicans a couple of weeks ago selected Springfield attorney and businessman Don Tracy And Democrats this week named Congresswoman Robin Kelly to succeed longtime chairman Michael Madigan. So let's turn to State House Bureau Chief Jerry Nowicki. You covered this Wednesday night. Uh, Robin Kelly was kind of an unconventional choice, no?
1: Yeah, Robin Kelly, um, she, there was essentially a two-person race, uh, both women of color, color, both uh, black women, that had uh, had backing from various members of the party. Uh, Democratic Governor J.B. Pritzker and uh, Democratic U.S. Senator Tammy Duckworth backed uh, Michelle Harris, an older woman from Chicago, whereas Robin Kelly had the backing of Senator Dick Durbin. Um, and it was like a 52, 53 uh, percent showing from Kelly who there were the 36 members of the state central committee, the democratic central committee were who, uh, who, who did that voting. There's two for each congressional district. So um, there, the questioning that Kelly received from the members of the committee was what her role could be in fundraising as she is a member of the federal government, of course, sitting in Congress. So that it, what essentially they had said was she can't really do much with fundraising for statewide races, which we all kind of know Mike Madigan was largely in charge of of that effort. And a lot of the money the uh, party raised went to securing House candidates. Um, and there was Mad-
0: there seems to have yeah. been some resentment over that, that about 80 some odd percent of the money he raised went to electing Democrats to the House uh, maybe not so much to the Senate or to Congress. Is that right?
1: There, there was a lot of uh, discussion about that. And, uh, Senator Christina Castro had said, you know, I, I think we should be a statewide sort of, um, grassroots approach to fundraising here. So where we're building a deep bench and, uh, uh, I think Robin Kelly agreed with that. Um, and one of the one of the main things that I took away from observing that uh, meeting was that it's going to be a much more decentralized effort with a lot more people having their hands in fundraising and having their faces on fundraising than uh, what uh, former Speaker Madigan did as sort of the kingpin of Democratic politics in the state.
0: And there was a uh, column in the Chicago Tribune uh, this week uh noting that madigan is now out of the speaker's office he's out of the general assembly and he's out as state party chair uh suggesting that maybe uh the democratic party has turned a corner here away from the old school kind of machine politics uh toward a younger more progressive kind of uh, party uh do you see that as the case
1: Yeah, so uh, Madigan's always, the the trope or whatever about him, the truism about him was that he only asked for your vote as speaker. He might have been a moderating influence on some of the more liberal wings of the party because he knew he had to bring everything together. Um, So we might see a more liberal push. But of course, uh, as we saw in the lame duck session, there was some pretty uh, staunch progressive policy that ended up passing Uh, during the the end of Madigan's speakership. So um, I I think the progressives had uh, sort of thrown their weight around even in Madigan's last couple years, but we'll see if they uh, get a greater influence uh, going forward.
0: Okay. And then meanwhile, another story this week was that the credit rating agency Moody's uh, is now saying that the state's Uh, Total unfunded pension liability has topped about $317 billion, a staggering figure. We're already spending about 30% of the budget on pension obligations, retiree health care, and bonded indebtedness. And they noted in the report that that's actually not nearly enough. Uh, Republicans have been saying for some time now that there ought to be a constitutional amendment so that uh, they can revise pension benefits, uh, maybe uh, even for people who are currently retired uh, or currently active in the system. Does it seem like that is going to have any legs
1: uh, y- you're going to have a hard time getting that uh, as long as Pritzker is governor and there's such a democratic push and that the Democrats make up such or the unions make up such a large part of the support for Democrats. But the thing about the pension reform is it was in the 1970s, I think, that they added that uh, benefits for a uh, public pension can't be diminished. Uh, I think it was Governor Quinn, uh, Daniel Biss, who was a senator at the time, Um had tried to push a measure some years ago, uh, it passed both chambers. Um, it would have, uh, it would have diminished the benefits. The Supreme court decided it would have changed the, uh, compounded colas cost of living adjustments and whatnot. Some other changes. I don't know exactly at, uh, at this time what would it, it would have done, but, um, the Supreme court threw it out, um, in a, in a partisan decision. And it ended up being, uh, one of the banes for, uh, Pat Quinn, as he, he lost to Governor Rauner, he, he'd lost a lot of that union support. And it even affected uh, Daniel Biss uh, in his showing against Governor Pritzker uh, with some of the unions. When uh, Biss, of course, ran for governor uh, when Pritzker won the Democratic nomination.
0: All right. Interesting history behind that, uh, but still not seeing a sustainable path forward toward resolving uh, the pension obligations.
1: No, I mean people call Illinois a high-spending state, but it is in the terms of of what it spends on pensions because of the unfunded obligations. But other than that, the pension is really a squeeze on the uh, on the state budget, and that's why uh, you know we don't get to spend as much uh, in certain areas as we would like.
0: Okay, and so meanwhile. The COVID-19 pandemic continues, although it appears to be abating. I want to turn to one of our University of Illinois Springfield Public Affairs Reporting interns, Tim Uh You covered a committee hearing where people were calling f- saying maybe it's time to start returning to large group outdoor activity, maybe conventions, uh, that sort of thing. Does there seem to be much, much support for that right now?
2: Well, that's right peter um kind of what we saw in the uh senate tourism hearing on thursday was just very uh pretty much so a frank conversation um you know for the long time in this covid pandemic you know people have been asking just when can we get back to normal when can we be, get back to normal we've heard a lot of this you know proverbial uh, light at the end of the tunnel and it does kind of see now that we're starting to see that uh, State Comptroller Susanna Mendoza obviously said that um, she uh, expressed kind of a tone of great optimism that we might be able to see, you know, kind of larger scale events such as the Illinois State Fair uh, and things taking place downtown Chicago as, you know, uh, large celebrations like that. Um, so right now it's looking like, you know, as with anything else, though, uh, Illinois will do things in a very measured approach. Uh Some industry leaders in that committee asked for more of a a ramped approach to reopening, as you know, uh, under the phase four guidelines right now in Illinois, uh, gatherings of uh, 50 people uh, or more are not currently allowed. But as we've seen before, the Pritzker administration has been relatively flexible in terms of adjusting metrics uh, and public health guidelines uh, to meet the needs of kind of where we're at. And um, it sounds like from the initial discussions, that's kind of something uh, that will be pursued uh, in the weeks ahead. And uh, Governor Pritzker today uh, just said for the first time that discussions are underway uh, and that announcements will be coming in the next few weeks and kind of what the next steps for reopening in the state of Illinois could look like, including maybe some of those large scale events later this year.
0: You know, it seems like one of the touchiest issues uh, all through this pandemic, has been whenever you talk about high school sports or youth sports, uh, parents really want their kids to get outside and start uh, playing football and baseball and basketball and soccer and all those things. Uh, are we at the point where that uh, can start looking a little more normal?
2: Yeah, actually. And um, I know that the Pritzker administration has been working closely with uh, stakeholders from uh, the schools and the IHSA. Um, As you know, uh, for the past uh, few weeks now, uh, indoor sports such as uh, high high school basketball have been underway. And uh, Illinois has, uh, like I mentioned, done things in a very safe way. You know, the kids are largely socially distanced when they're uh, on the bench. Uh, Players are all required to wear masks at all times. So uh, Illinois is doing a good job of uh, kind of adapting these outdoor activities to uh, what for the short term will be kind of the new normal Uh, as more and more of the state's population uh, can get vaccinated, which, uh, by the way, we should mention is also looking uh, extremely good, as uh, Governor Pritzker has said, in the next few weeks, uh, the state should have upwards of 100,000 vaccine doses coming in per day available to uh, Illinois residents. So we are looking on a very good track moving forward.
0: Okay, so... Also this week, we saw the governors of Texas and Mississippi completely lift their statewide mask mandates. Uh, we're not getting anywhere close to that, are we?
2: Absolutely not. And uh, Governor Pritzker was asked about that uh, in his press conference today. And he he once again reiterated that a large part of the reason why Illinois is in such a good position uh, it is right now. Right now, we have a positivity rate of 2.2 percent, which is The lowest that the positivity rate has been uh, in the entire course of COVID-19 and a large part of that is because uh, Pritzker said that the public has largely been following public health guidelines of social distancing and wearing masks when around other people. So he said that for the immediate short term until uh, you know we can reach that herd immunity and to move on to the next phase of reopening people have to be uh, continuing to follow those those guidelines um, and The better we do it, the closer we can get back to to getting back to normal, so.
0: Okay, and it's worth noting that as the pandemic has kind of plateaued at a pretty low level, uh, businesses have been reopening, the unemployment rate has been going down. And uh, one of the downsides of that is that because of our unemployment rate, certain kinds of unemployment benefits, extensions of unemployment benefits have expired. Uh, Sarah Manser, you covered this. Do we know about how many people this could be affecting?
3: I don't have the total number of people, but so far um, the administration has said that 40,000 people have been notified that their benefits through the pandemic unemployment assistance program have expired. And that program is for mostly self-employed workers, independent contractors, gig workers. Um,
0: the people who don't normally qualify for regular unemployment. Correct. Um, so there is legislation moving through Congress, though, uh, President Biden's pandemic relief program. Uh, would any part of that maybe put the extensions back in place?
3: Yes. That bill would uh, reinstate the benefits, I believe, through the end of August, this um current 1.9 trillion, uh, aid package that's moving through the U.S. Senate. Um, but without that, the, um, the pandemic unemployment, um, assistance program benefits have been cut off from 50 week or 57 weeks to 50 weeks. And, uh, like I said, 40,000, uh, Illinoisans who, um, were eligible for that received notices that they have been cut off Uh,
0: so is this good news or bad news I suppose I mean it's good news that the unemployment rates going down Uh,
3: right it it is kind of a mixed bag I mean it's good that like you said the unemployment rate is going down even if it's marginally but then it it also means that people who are in need of um, of this assistance are not are not getting it at least in the meantime and I spoke to Uh, one woman who is an independent contractor who um, said it was kind of like a gut punch because she just didn't see it coming. She had no notice at all.
0: Oh, wow. So as the pandemic wanes, the business of the General Assembly goes on. And Ray, you wrote about an issue here that I think a lot of people didn't see coming. Uh, Some agricultural groups, are asking for a change in law so that they can repair their own tractors. Can you tell us what's going on there?
4: Yes, so Illinois is the latest battleground in a national struggle going on between farmers groups and manufacturers such as John Deere. Basically, what they've seen in recent years is that equipment such as tractors and harvester combines that are necessary for farming increasingly have a very high-tech software that is required for maintenance. Uh, for the sensors uh, that are that come with these products, for uh, different safety mechanisms, and if one of the sensors goes out, basically you can't use the machinery, and it requires you to basically take it back to the dealership uh, in order for you to use something that you bought. Farmers have been complaining about this. Uh, John Deere said in 2014 they were going to rectify it and. You know, that hasn't happened. So now we see a lot of these farmer groups are pushing for legislation to force their hand.
0: So this is basically an issue of the manufacturers or the dealers wanting to keep control of the repairs and not uh, let it go out to third parties or to individuals themselves.
4: Yeah. And so that's kind of been a reversal of what farmers have expected over the last, you know, uh basically in all of history of farming in the United States is that people have generally tried to be self-reliant, being able to repair their own, their own uh, equipment. Now, because of this, they have to take it back to the dealership. And it's been pretty lucrative uh, from 2013 to uh, 2019, I believe, uh, John Deere's profits in terms of selling repair parts to dealerships grew like 23% to like a $6 billion industry.
0: Now, here in central Illinois, John Deere is a major employer, a major economic force. What are the manufacturers saying about this?
4: They basically said that if they were to provide the software required to do these repairs, it would empower people, potentially bad actors, to either steal their proprietary information that's contained in the software, or it would allow people to basically illegally modify some of the safety or environmental features that are hard baked into the new tractors and combine harvesters that John Deere puts out.
0: Okay, and finally, I wanna turn to our other UIS, public affairs reporting intern, Grace Barbic. You covered something this week uh, having to do with immigration and the right of immigrants to have counsel at uh, deportation hearings. Uh, Can you fill us in on the background on that?
5: Yeah, so um, currently, you know, a lot of the immigration policy is determined by the federal government, um, but the state does have some ability to create some protections. Um, So this House committee is basically just discussing a possible first step towards helping um, immigrants that are facing deportation in the state. So they are trying to form a task force that could look at the possibility of the state providing um, publicly funded defense for immigrants that are facing deportation in the state. Um, the task force would be uncompensated um, and right now it's basically just a discussion but um, it passed unanimous, unanimously to go to the floor um, so they're hopeful that um, you know this is something that they can move along um, the sponsor of the bill, Representative Jennifer Um, This is a bill that she introduced in the 101st General Assembly. Um, and it passed as well unanimously, but because of the pandemic, it never got to a vote. So she is very excited to reintroduce this and hopefully um, get an investigation underway to bring this protection to immigrants in the state.
0: And that seems to be kind of a recurring theme. There was a lot of legislation last year that just never saw the light of day uh, because the session was cut so short. Um, it seems like a lot of committees are dealing with that same issue. Has that been your experience?
5: Yeah, um, this is actually one of the first bills that I've seen that's been um, you know a continuation of something from the 101st, but I covered um, a committee hearing today that was discussing um, you know, extending legislation that was pandemic-related, so it was looking at um, childcare services and co-payments for that. So Governor Pritzker actually um, issued an executive order that allowed for all families um, to see a one-dollar co-payment for childcare services, and now um, they're trying to extend that legislation to make it permanent—a permanent, permanent one-dollar co-payment for low-income families that are still continuing to struggle um with their finances because of the pandemic so yeah there's definitely a common theme that you know whether things were delayed because of the pandemic or there's legislation now that's being formed because of the pandemic it's definitely um definitely a trend
0: okay well it has been a busy week and we're going to leave it there for this edition of capital cast Capital Cast is a production of Capital News Illinois, a statehouse reporting project of the Illinois Press Foundation. Until next time, this is Peter Hancock on behalf of the entire Capital News Illinois team saying stay safe and thank you for listening.